right. Can we give it up for our worship arts team, the Christmas concert last week? Man, it was incredible across all of our campuses. Well, my name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace campus. I'd like to welcome all of you here, all of you that are watching online. And of course, each of our seven campuses, our Lutz campus, our Ybor campus, our Carrollwood campus, our South Tampa campus, our Orlando Lakes campus, our soon-to-be Clearwater campus, and of course, my home campus, the Temple Terrace campus. So today, here's what we're gonna talk about. We're not gonna be talking about really Jesus' birth, but I wanna talk about Jesus' baby shower. Some of you are like, what? What? You know, when the wise men came and brought gifts, that was his baby shower. And they brought gifts that were kind of weird for a baby shower, right? And I think Joseph, just like myself and like a lot of men in here, were probably a little bit surprised by the gifts you got for your baby shower. Like, I, I, I still remember because as guys, I, I never went to a baby shower. And I was okay with that. I'm good with that. Please don't invite me. But uh, we never been to them. And so my wife had been to baby showers. She's seen a lot of these gifts. But as they're coming in, I'm going, why do we need that? Right, you kind of look at these things, and you're like, this is simple, it's a baby, right? We, we can do this, but you start to get gifts that you realize after a while, you're like, this is brilliant, right? This is brilliant. The first one that I thought was absolutely brilliant was this, was the car seat and stroller combo. Because I, I was like, why do we need this, right? You just put, you know, car seats are easy to put in, <laughs> right? And no, what do you do with this? You put the baby in the car seat before you even go out there. And then you just lock them in. And when you get to the store, you unlock it. You put it directly on the stroller. You go about, do your business. You come back. You come back home. You take the car seat out because he's still sleeping. And you just put him down and he stays there while you're putting stuff away. It's an amazing thing. Or how about this? It's got an interesting name. It's called a Wubba. Yeah, uh, if you're wondering what is this, this is basically created because we know this. When a pacifier goes out of a child's mouth, what happens? It cries. And apparently, you're not allowed to Velcro it to their, around their, uh, their face. I looked it up. Somebody made that. They're being sued for it. <laughs> but so what this is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's called a wubba. It's weighted, so it sits on their chest, so it sits right next to their mouth, and it keeps their pacifier in. Or how about this? We didn't realize we needed this, a sound machine, right? Because for some reason, babies don't wake up most of the time, but those moments that you absolutely don't want them to, they hear everything you do. Right, and they wake up. I mean, here's what's crazy. We don't even have a baby in our house and we still have three of these. We do. Or maybe the things that you get that have a purpose but are impossible to set up, everybody's got a pack and play because you need to take a crib with you. The problem was the person that made this didn't realize that the average man's gonna be setting this up after hours of driving at about 1 a.m. in the morning. Right, and you need an engineering degree to keep the sides from falling down. It's awful. And then once you finally get it up, you go in, you're like, proclaim your victory to your family. Or how about this one? I don't understand this at all. Onesies with buttons. Why? Onesies with buttons. We've created the zipper. We don't need buttons anymore. Right? Why do we need buttons? When a baby gets up at 1 a.m. crying because they, they peed and you have to change their diaper, do you want to sit there and do little buttons all the way up? On a side note with that, why do we have button fly jeans? Anybody know? We have the zipper. Like, what's the point? That's just, maybe that's just my thing. Or maybe this, we got this for our son. It's called the PPTP. Because apparently when you change their diaper, boys like to pee on you. And what it's supposed to do is block that pee. What does it actually do? It creates a projectile <laughs> that hits you. And then after that, you get peed on. It's great. It's awful. It doesn't work. Don't even get it. And the worst gift we got that I absolutely cannot even think or fathom is the nasal aspirator. 
Look, when I was a kid, it was a little bulb that you just put and you squeeze it out. Now, apparently that's wrong. If you're a really good mom, you suck. (laughs) You know this is Photoshop because both the mom and the baby are smiling. (laughs) The mom in this moment would be gagging and the baby would be screaming. Right? Well, I mean... Maybe that's just me, but it was so funny getting all of these gifts. And when we look at Jesus's, we'll call it baby shower, there's actually a lot we can learn from the gifts that we got, that he got. And it has much greater meaning than we realize. And on top of that, the ones that brought him the gifts actually have a lot to teach us. And so that's the story that we're going to start off today. It's in Matthew 2, and I'm going to read through the passage uh, right now for all of us. It says this. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the king, time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Why? Because he was king of the Jews, right? According to the Roman Empire, he was king of the Jews. So he was disturbed that anybody else would be saying this. It says he was disturbed, and so it was all of Jerusalem. It says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, this is the Jewish priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is Micah, who wrote, wrote this 700 years earlier. He says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may worship him too. We know that's not true. He wanted to kill him. And it says, and after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So in this story, we see the gifts that were given, but we also see this. We see three different responses to the idea of Jesus. Three different responses to knowing this is where Jesus was going to be born and how will you respond to it. And the first one was that of Herod. And what was the response Herod had? He had a, he had a response of selfishness or self-interest. Right? He, he wanted to know where Jesus was going to be born. Why? Because he wanted, we find out later, he wanted to kill the baby Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to be king. How many of us, this is kind of the same thing. We want to be king and we don't want Jesus to be. We want to be head of our lives. We don't want him to be. Or it's not that we don't want him to be king. We just want to make sure the Jesus that we serve does what we want him to do. Like, I'm okay with you being King Jesus as long as you do what I say, as long as you give me what I want, as long as you give me a spouse, as long as you give me a raise, as long as you fulfill the vision for my life. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, then basically we quote unquote, kill him off and put him to the side. See, that that was Herod. And I think that's many of us today is we have this self-interest in Jesus. As long as he gives me what I want, I want to follow after him. Now, the second response is incredibly interesting. It's that of the Bible scholars. Here's what's so interesting to me, because Herod brings together the Bible scholars. They tell him exactly where Jesus was to be born. They say, it's gonna be in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was five miles away, yet it doesn't say any of the scholars went to go see him. Isn't that kind of crazy? They knew who he was. They had been waiting for the Savior, yet they told the Magi, hey, this is where Jesus was going to be born, yet none of them showed up for Jesus' birth. Why? Because they were just disinterested. 
They were good with Jesus being a theology and not a relationship. They were okay with knowing a lot about Jesus, but they weren't the ones that wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. They wanted to know about him, but they didn't want to meet him. See, I think that's many of us in our lives. We're, we're disinterested in Jesus. It's not that we don't know about him. We know a lot about him. In fact, many of us, we've maybe memorized some verses. If people ask us what we believe, we can say it back. But when it comes to an actual relationship, we're more interested in the things in our life than we are with Jesus. So maybe we're self-interested, maybe we're disinterested, or maybe really the ones we wanna be today is this, is the wise men. They were genuinely interested. They decided to follow after Jesus. They decided to go after him despite the fact that they had to travel a long way, the fact that they had to go through all kinds of bumps in the road, the fact that they had to ask for help from King Herod in order to get to him. And here's what's so crazy about the wise men. We, we, we have songs about them. We, we talk about them, but we really don't know much about them. And let me give you an example of that. And let me just ask you this question. How many wise men were there? I know you guys are like, I don't like this pop quiz. I'm not gonna say it out loud because I'm afraid I'm gonna be wrong. Well, you're like, well, the, the song says three, right? So there's three wise men. No, we don't know. There's three gifts. There may have, may have been 27 wise men, three gifts, right? Or there may have been four wise men. One forgot the gift. And he's like, hey, can I put my name on your card? Like, we don't know. We don't know how many wise men there were. We do know that they were wise men or magi. We, we think they may have been priests. Some people think they may have been kings. Here's what we do know. We do know that they were rich and powerful. We know that they were rich and powerful because they actually got to get in front of Herod. And not only did they get in front of Herod, but Herod uh, did a favor for them and then allowed them free reign in his territory. Or here's another question. And we just read this, and some, some of you are thinking about this. Were the wise men there at the manger? Some of you just set up your manger like, oh man. No, they weren't. What does it say? It actually says in the, in the chapter there, it says, after Jesus was born. It says, where did they show up? They showed up to his house. Some of you have manger scenes right now where the, the magi are there. Look, it's not heretical, it's just wrong. It's all right, here's what we know. They came from the east, so here's what you do. You have the manger scene in the living room, your most east room. Just take the magi and put them in there. If they're in the front yard, just go to the east neighbor's house and just put them in their front yard. And when they ask what's going on, you'll be like, it's okay, it's biblically correct. But we know, we know they came from the east. We know they came from Persia. We know that they were incredibly powerful. And here's what we also knew. We, we knew that they were incredibly spiritual people. Yet being spiritual was not enough because they still needed to meet Jesus. See, what we do know is that when they met Jesus, they were changed. And they did everything they could just to get near him. So what I wanna look at today is what do we learn from the wise men's example? What do we learn about the way that they went after Jesus? And here's the first thing. They sought Jesus despite uncertainty, expense, and hardship. They sought Jesus despite uncertainty, expense, and hardship. I mean, how did they find Jesus in the first place? A star. I mean, think about this for a second. If your friend got in your car and you said, hey, where do I need to go? I need to put it in the GPS. And they said, don't worry about it, follow the star. Would you even turn the car on? No, but they followed a star for months, some believe even years to find Jesus. And then when they got to where they thought he was in Jerusalem, they found out he wasn't there. And so they actually asked for a favor from Herod, which was a big deal because if you ask a king for a favor, you don't know what he's gonna ask back. And they got information and they ended up following after him. 
Tons of uncertainty, large expense. For these guys to go on this trip was a large expense. I know we have this idea of three wise men on camels just kind of going through the desert, but that wasn't the truth. If you were taking gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which were incredibly, incredibly expensive gifts, you took people with you. It was incredibly uh, dangerous to travel in those days. So not only did they have a caravan of people, they probably had a small army with them to guard them. So they spent a large amount of money to do this. And on top of that, the hardship. Guys, can you imagine going through a desert for months, maybe even years, riding a camel or walking? I mean, for some of you, you had to park kind of far away today, and for a second you thought, maybe I'll just stay in the car and pull up the service on YouTube. Right? But they, they continued to follow after him no matter what was in front of them. And here's why. Their pursuit of Jesus mattered more to them than their comfort or their security. Their, their pursuit of Jesus, they wanted to meet Jesus more than they cared about their own comfort or even their own security. Here's what else they did. They looked to the Bible for answers. They looked to the Bible for answers. And here's why this is big. And many people believe these guys were the teachers. They were the ones, they were the scholars. They were the ones that knew everything. They were the ones that everybody asked questions of, not the ones that asked questions. They were the ones that believed they knew everything, that they were okay looking into a book about a God that they didn't serve to find out where this Jesus was going to be. And it says they looked in Micah 5.2, which said this, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. A scripture that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. You know what's interesting? How did Jesus end up in Bethlehem? This passage right here in Micah was written 700 years before. So Jesus had to end up in Bethlehem, but where were his parents from? They're in Nazareth. They ended up in Bethlehem because the emperor, the, the Caesar basically said, hey, I'm not sure if I'm getting all the taxes that I need. Sound familiar? I need to do a census. And so it moved Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem so he could be right where he needed to be to go along with what God said. I mean, it shows even God can use taxes. I'm not saying they're biblical, but God can use taxes. But it shows that God is moving in this area and they look to those scriptures. Here's my question for you. How often do you read the Bible? How often do you look to God's word for answers? Or you just hope we talk about exactly what you need to hear every week? God wants a relationship with you. And one of the main ways he talks to us is through his word. See, they pursued him. They looked to the Bible for answers. And here's what they also did. They pursued Jesus even though he didn't fit their expectations. He didn't fit their expectations at all. In fact, the reason they went to Jerusalem is that's where the palace was. They expected a king to be in a palace and they were told he was in Bethlehem. And when they went to Bethlehem, did they find him in a house full of means, a house full of wealth? No, they found him in a carpenter's home. Did that keep them from worshiping? No, they bowed down and worshiped him and gave him gifts despite the fact he didn't live up to what their expectations were of what a king should be. See, I think this happens so many times in our society. In today's culture, we, we know about the Jesus of the Bible, but we like to add to that Jesus. We like to go, you know what, I like Jesus, but I also wanna serve a Jesus that would agree with me more, that would do what I wanna do. And on top of that, he would give me what I want. And so what we end up doing is we create this false Jesus, and on top of it, we worship him. The problem is we worship him, and he doesn't do what we want him to do. So we walk away from Jesus, not realizing that wasn't even the real Jesus. We see this all the time. I mean, we see this in something called prosperity gospel. It's the idea that if you really follow after God, you'll be healthy and wealthy. 
which really didn't work out for the disciples. Right? It didn't work out for the early church. It doesn't work out for those in third world countries that absolutely love God and care about God and are following after him, yet for some reason they're not healthy and wealthy. But we've seen people create that. And then you've seen the other side of this new age thinking that comes into it and this idea of manifestation. It's the idea that if I just send it out into the universe, it's gonna come back. But we've, we've made it biblical by saying this, hey, you just name it and claim it. And we can go throughout life, anything we want. Hey, just name it and claim it. God wants to give it to you. You want a new car? Name it and claim it. Want a new house? Name it and claim it. Want a new spouse? Well, you probably can't do that. Now, I'm not saying we can't name and claim things. Absolutely we can. In the Bible, it says we should name and claim God's promises, that he will never change, that he will always be with us. He'll never forsake us, that Jesus is who he says he was. We can name and claim those things all day. But the problem is, the problem is when we create this Jesus that is false, when we create this Jesus that meets our expectations, we settle for a Jesus that's not real. Guys, I wanna be honest with you. When you really meet Jesus, you realize he may not be everything you want, but he's exactly what you need. He's exactly what all of us need. See, they pursued him despite the fact that he didn't meet their expectations. And when they got there, they worshiped him. They bowed down and they worshiped him, but not only did they bow down and worship him, they worshiped Jesus with their wealth. Now, it's okay, I'm not gonna go into a message on tithing. But I will say this, we either worship Jesus with our wealth or we worship our wealth. And here's what I know, in this season that's supposed to be about his birth, is the way that you spend your money, is the way that you go about this time, reflecting the fact that you believe that it's Jesus' birthday, or is it reflecting the fact that you want everyone to think you're, you have a lot, or you're providing a lot, or you're the hero instead of Jesus? See, we, we have a choice there. It says they showed up at the house and they worshiped him. They bowed down and they worshiped him. They literally got down. You gotta realize these are men from Eastern culture. They didn't bow down in front of women. They didn't bow down in front of, of babies, but they bowed down literally like this to the floor. And think about this. How hard is it for us to do this? I mean, we have to drop more than change to do this. Right? I mean, I think, I think the other day I dropped a quarter and my first response was not, hey, I need to pick it up. It was, why do I have a quarter? But they bowed down and they worshiped him. Can you imagine how weird this was for Mary and Joseph? Because at that time, many people believed that Jesus was two years old. And yes, Jesus never sinned, but he was still a two-year-old, right? I mean, how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you, before you ever had kids, judged people with two-year-olds? <laughs> Especially at restaurants. Oh, some of you are lying, that's all right. That's all right, we all did, right? We hear it, we hear the kids screaming, we're like, that'll never be my kid, right? If you don't have kids yet, don't do it. It comes back around. Right, and so they've been dealing with a two-year-old Jesus and these men who are wealthy, these men who have great power come into this house and they bow down and they worship him. They bow down and they worship him and they show him incredible reverence. And here's what's crazy about it. They worshiped a Jesus knowing far less about him than we do today. Jesus hadn't even grown up yet. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't changed water into wine. He hadn't fed 5,000 people. He hadn't healed anybody. He didn't raise anyone from the dead. He hadn't risen from the dead yet. Yet they bowed down and they worshiped him. How much more should we worship a God knowing exactly what he's done? The fact that he did live a perfect life. The fact that he did die on the cross for our sins. The fact that he did rise again. And because of that, we get to spend eternity with him. And the fact that we know he's coming again. 
We can worship him in that. Yet despite not knowing everything, they recognized who Jesus was, and so they chose to worship him. And they worshiped him through bowing down, and they worshiped him through gifts. And here's what's so cool. I believe today, and in this season, we can worship Jesus with the same gifts that the wise men brought. Like how I don't have any large amounts of gold on me. I know many of you have frankincense. The oil ladies are here. What are you talking about? Here's what's so cool. Those gifts, while they're extravagant gifts, mean so much more. The symbolism behind them not only told us who Jesus was, but what he was going to do. So my question for you in this season, in this time, and even today, is which gift do you wanna give to Jesus? When we look at the gift of gold, here's what gold is. Gold was a gift for kings. So when they brought gold to Jesus, they're laying it down at his feet saying, I believe you are king. They're recognizing who he is and what he's going to do. They're recognizing that he has that place in their lives. See, in the same way, what we can do, if we can give the metaphorical gold to Jesus, here's what we say. We say, Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, you're my king. And why do we need to do that? Because many times we take that place away from him. Right? So how many times do we try to be king in our own lives and we fail? And then we take it back and we fail again, or we give it to Jesus for a moment, and then he doesn't do what we want, so we take it back and we fail again. See, I think for some of us in this time, we need to give that gift of gold. We need to look right now at Jesus and say this, Jesus, you are my king, not because of what you can give me, but because of who you are. For some of you, that's your gift. It's the gift of gold. For some of you, it's the gift of frankincense. And I'll just say, stop freaking out, oil people. You're like, this is the message I've been waiting for. Put the frankincense away. You're like, look, it's this. Here's the deal. Frankincense has a lot of uses, but that's not the use we're talking about here. That's not the use that it was showing. See, back in Old Testament times, the way that they would get atonement for sins, the way that they would do that is they would bring a sacrifice to the priest. Because the priest was the only one that could go before God. They couldn't actually talk to God. So he would take the sacrifice and he would sacrifice it to God as atonement for their sins. And on top of that, he would burn frankincense at the same time. And frankincense would create a sweet aroma, but it would also create the smoke that would go up. And as it lifted up into heaven, it was symbolizing, it was symbolizing the people's prayers going to God. So here's why they gave him frankincense, because it was symbolizing that one day he would be our high priest, meaning this, that we would no longer need someone in between us and God. We no longer need someone to mediate for us. We no longer needed a priest or someone more holy than us. We get to have a relationship with him. We get to talk to him. See, for some of you in the room, this is, this is the idea that you know a lot about God. You know a lot about Jesus. You may show up on a regular basis, but you don't get to know him. See, what you need to say is this, is I wanna give the gift of frankincense because Jesus is my high priest. And because he is my high priest, that means I get to spend time with him. I get to talk to him. I get to have him in my life because he wants a relationship with me. The last gift is, it's a really weird gift. It's the gift of myrrh. The gift of myrrh was used in that time mainly for embalming. I mean, this is a weird gift to bring a kid, right? I mean, it's kind of like going to a baby shower and bringing like the deed to a gravesite. Like people would think you're weird. But they bring the gift of myrrh. 
And they bring the gift of myrrh, and this is to symbolize this, that even while we see Jesus in this moment as a kid, as a baby, we know that he has a purpose destined for him already. We know that even though he's a baby right now, we know what's going to happen and who he was going to be. This is the way of God letting us know, hey, this was destined from the beginning. This isn't something that just kind of happened. This was something that I planned on happening. See, I think so many times we like Christmas time especially because we like to think of Jesus as that little, you know, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, right? Because baby Jesus is fun. Baby Jesus is just a baby. Baby Jesus isn't the Jesus up on the cross that's sacrificing for us. That's saying, I did this for you, what are you going to do? What's your choice? Are you going to choose me today? See, for some of you in this room, when you give the gift of myrrh, here's what you're saying. Jesus is my savior. I believe that he is who he says he was, that he died on the cross for my sins, and he did that so that I could spend eternity with him. So you're saying Jesus is my savior, not because you know everything about him, not because you know the entire story, not because you know it from beginning to end. You're saying Jesus is my savior because you know Jesus is who he says he was. The fact that when he died, no one believed that he was the savior, but when he rose again, everyone believed that he was the savior. It convinced so many people that an entire pagan nation, the Roman empire became a Christian nation. It spread so much that Christianity has moved around the earth, has never had just a point or a place to call home, yet it thrives and there's more people in the world that are Christians than any other religion. We believe it also. Because when we look at God's word, we see him showing us exactly what would happen seven year, 700 years before it did. If you guys haven't read Isaiah 53 before, it's an incredibly powerful passage. Isaiah 53 was written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus died, 700 years before he went before the high priest, before he was put on the cross, yet it tells exactly what was going to happen. And the reason God did this is he wanted us to know, hey, I want you to know, that's the guy. That's my son. Because he lines up with everything we see in this passage. So when you listen to Isaiah 53.3, think about the fact that this was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our own rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. They're explaining everything that happened on the day that he was crucified. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. We see him do that in front of the high priest. It says, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I mean, we see in the story a guy named Joseph of Arimathea that many people believe was a background disciple who was rich, who gave Jesus his grave that fulfilled this prophecy. 
says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Here's the joy. It says, when he sees all that he's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his expense, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. See, we read the story and we are reminded that Jesus is like no other. Yes, Jesus is king, but he is also humble. He is king, yet he allowed himself to be taken away. He is king, yet he allowed himself to be judged for crimes he never committed. He is king, yet he allowed himself to be beaten and crushed and whipped and forced to carry his own cross. He is king, yet he went up on a cross. And when people mocked him and when people hurt him, he didn't go against them, he prayed for them. See, he is king, yet he loved us so much that he put himself in the humble position on a cross because he wanted to be our savior. And not only is he king, but he decided, he goes, I want to be your high priest. I want a relationship with you. I don't wanna be like other religions that are about ritual. I want a relationship. I don't want you to go throughout your day thinking you need to fear me. I wanna walk alongside you. I wanna guide you, I wanna comfort you, I wanna be there for you. I wanna take your hand as you're going through the toughest times in your life. And he wanted that relationship so much that he pursues us. He pursued us, he pursued us so much that he sent his son. He pursues us so much that in any moment in our life we turn to him, he's there for us. He wants that relationship with us. See, this is what this absolutely sets Christianity apart is that we serve a God that allowed his son to become flesh so that he could become crushed so that we can become whole. And what our response is, is this. It's the same as the Magi. It's the same as the wise men. It's worship. Yes, Christianity starts with an inward belief, but your faith, while it starts private, is not private. It is public and what worship is, is just this. It's letting your inner beliefs come out in what you say and what you do. So our response to what Jesus did is worship. So here's what I want us to do at all of our campus. Let us stand right now. And I want us to proclaim what we believe about Jesus in our worship.